and Take 43. Mark? Hey everyone, welcome to the Take 43 podcast. My name is Drew Williams. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Aaron is actually not in today. We won't hear what happened to the first 42 takes, nor do we really care. Uh, what we do care about is Aaron wasn't feeling well. He has some cold-like symptoms. We don't know if that's corona or a cold. It's been very cold here in Salt Lake City recently with snow. It's snowing right now outside. And uh, just to be extra safe, uh, he didn't come into the studio today. And uh, he's kind of nasally and whatever. So long story short, Aaron will not be with us today. But I am going to call in Paul Schulberg. Paul Schulberg is a writer and director. Paul's film, Miss White Light, starring Judith Light, premiered at the 2019 South by Southwest Film Festival and it was released in October of 2020. He also wrote and directed The Good Catholic, a feature film starring Danny Glover and John C. McKinley, which won the Panavision Spirit Award for Independent Cinema at the 2017 Santa Barbara International Film Festival and Best Screenplay in the 2017 Milan International Film Festival. He's currently in the post room for So Cold the River, which is a film he wrote and directed based on Michael Cortea's internationally best-selling novel. Paul is a 2007 graduate of the MFA Playwriting Program at Indiana University and earned his bachelor's degree in theater and film from the University of Kansas. Kansas in 2004. Let's call Paul. Let's see what he has to say about writing and directing. Paul, how are you, man? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. Good to talk to you again. It's been a minute. Yeah. It feels like, uh, I mean, in COVID slash election times, uh, you know, it's years, six weeks or so, <laughs> it, it might as well be 10 years. I, I have no concept of time anymore. Yeah. How are you holding up? Are you a lot older now or, or what's going on there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a hundred and 20 right now that's how i feel that's awesome i think everybody kind of does i, I think we're all like we've gone from like frodo to gandalf without any of the magic um <laughs> but we, yeah we all kind of feel like uh you know gandalf looks yeah sure point. yeah it's like uh coconut water and like suntan oil you know it's it's it looks how it smells right <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love it. Hey, uh, just to let you know, uh, my co-host Aaron is not feeling well. There's a potential that he uh, he might have a sinus infection, or it could be COVID. So he is not in the studio oh. with me. Um, and yeah, just I I don't think it is. And luckily, I haven't but been in everything con- now. Uh, yeah. Everything now. Yeah, I like coughed a, like yeah. once last week, and I thought I was definitely definitely dying. Sure. Yeah. And yep. it, it's a scary time. And just to be extra safe with my wife being pregnant, um, we. He did not come over. So we are going to knock this out, just you and I, which is cool. totally well, fine. Best wishes to him. Best wishes to Aaron. Uh, we do miss Aaron, and, and we he owes me one. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but Paul, I'm really, really stoked to have you on. Uh, last time we chatted was last October, and not to jump the gun too much, Paul, but it was three days before Miss White Light, uh, starring Judith Light, actually was released uh, on digital. And um, how's it going so far? Like, Can we get a quick update on that? I honestly have have no clue. You know, I've gotten a lot of messages from people that that you know a lot of positive messages from people, right? Um, which I, I'm, I guess I'm glad that I'm at a place in the hierarchy where I don't really get a lot of like the like I'm not popular enough that like people seek me out to tell me that they hate something of mine, which is nice. <laughs> That's always um, good. I yeah. So um, you know, I think good, but like with with the new indie film distribution economy, especially with everything going straight digital for, you know, this stretch of, of time during COVID, right. um, it's, it's always really hard to like, it, you kind of go sort of, you got to go long stretches before you can even look back and even know like, how's it doing and what is even what is the goal and what's good? Right. <laughs> it's it's really tricky with these smaller films where they're you know you're not you're not like a huge thing like taking over portions of the zeitgeist where like if you're not a hit you're in trouble. <laughs> I don't even know what the films the size. It just it's one of those things that takes takes such a long time to even evaluate like how it's going in that respect. But I feel. Things have been very positive, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Well, that's all you can ask for. And then, you know, with the COVID thing uh, happening and, and that was a real big nudge into digital, were you okay with that? I mean, was that something that, you know, when you were imagining this being released into the home, was this something you're like, oh, I can't wait to see the Blu-ray box? Or were you all, obviously you were always going to do digital, but were you going to go direct digital only? Um, well, luckily, because we premiered at South by Southwest, I got my premiere in a theater moment because that was in 2019. Right. So 
I I had that, and I I find I only need that once. I don't need to like watch twenty different audiences. I've done it with a previous movie, and I got to tell you, it's 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 a exercise in like torture um, to like sit there and be like. They, they didn't laugh at this one. They, the, you know, in Cleveland, they laughed at this one. Like <laughs> right. that's not like, it's not a healthy thing to do that. I'll never do it again, to be honest. So we got our premiere. So I felt like once South by was over, I moved on from the movie um, kind of entire, like I, I just, I just move on. So it's, sure. it was actually kind of strange to um, like a year later be doing press and stuff and just talking about um, talking about, which is normal. I mean, it's, the schedule is always sort of like that with films, but, but to um, I, luckily like a long, long winded answer to a very simple question. I, I, I felt like I got that moment with, because of South by, so I'm not missing it, but we have a, you know, we're, we're, we just like finished up a movie um the you know the one the so-called the river right and we'll get into that i'm I, sure well what we can but i don't know like what world we're entering with that as far as distribution goes right. um so that that could be a situation where um uh, you know although there is very good vaccine news you know this week yeah um i i still think that the movie theaters themselves are uh you know, I've read many an article. They're really not going to be able to come back without like government aid, even if yeah, this disease is gone. Like they just, they were already like right there on the edge. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what the movie world, I don't know if that like physical release is a thing really for very, like even temples anymore. I just don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. It's hard to tell at this point, but as a writer, director and me as a DP, I mean, that is like my favorite part of the whole thing, right? It is, Especially it really, yeah. It's amazing. It's so rewarding. Like you have your crew there, everyone can see it. The team is there, the actors, actresses are there. I mean, there's not there's not a better feeling than watching your movie premiere on a big screen, let alone winning the, the 2019 South by Southwest Film Festival. <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I did not win that festival. I, I, to, to be clear, I got in. Um, oh yeah, but, yeah, that's um, true. Well, I mean, I feel I, I sure you didn't win like the actual festival, but. And, you know, you, you kind of did though, you got distribution for a film that people wanted to watch again. Yes. Being like for absolutely for films this size, I mean, for any film, but, but right. particularly like these really, really small indies made way outside the industry. I mean, we had, we had industry actors for yeah. sure, but, but, but we made it in the middle of nowhere with, with a lot of people um, from the Midwest um, and, getting into something like South by is just uh, uh, what you want. And that is the win. And I think it is sort of, um, you know, it's easy to say when you don't win, but like, I do feel like all these festivals that have these competitions, it is absolutely the huge competition is getting it. And right. that's the part where, and I know this because I've been, I've had many a thing rejected by these festivals so many times that I know what it's like to be that guy. I, in fact, I'm, I'm more comfortable being that guy that doesn't get in. Right. So when you, so it's weird to get in and then be like, and now you're competing against 10 other kind of films, just like yours. And you're just like, again, like, yep, exactly. <laughs> I have to leave, you know, it, 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 it's, it's all, I guess it's always the case. Like, you, you know, the, at the end of the day, at the end of the year, like four, four or five movies lose an Oscar. Yeah. You know, yeah, like like you you still lose the Oscar to somebody. So it, it it is kind of funny how we always do this competition thing. Um, and I I'm a super competitive person and it's very strange because it should not blend into the arts. But yeah, when you're when you're you, you find yourself thinking that way sometimes and you have to like try to remind yourself <laughs> that that you can't like put that you can't hang that kind of thing on your artistic pursuits or it's going to drive you crazy and you have no control over it either. Like. That, yeah. And that's such a gray area too, whether you're on set or you're watching it with a bunch of people in a room on a big screen, you're always competing to make the best film. I mean, and everyone's on the same page and that's the beauty of the art, but man, I mean, you're right. You are literally going into competition after competition. You know, you get six slaps on the wrist and then you get the one where you're like, Oh, that's the one. And, and that right. just happened to be Miss Whitelight. 
Yeah, no, it, that's it's so true. Well, since we're on the subject, Aaron did have a question for you. He was obsessed with Who's the Boss um, back in the day, and he was of course wondering, right. And he was wondering what it was like to work with Judith Light, and were you starstruck? I, I love getting that question because it's you, you know sometimes you get asked about these actors right. that everybody knows and loves and grew up with, and some you know sometimes they're they're assholes. But um, she is <laughs> so great. I would have been starstruck, but she disarms that immediately because she's so easy to talk to. Like our first phone call after she um, read the script. Anytime you get somebody of, of name to join your project, you always do this phone call where they're basically, they're deciding if you're crazy or not, <laughs> you know, like, like they love the script, but they want to find out like, can I, can I deal with this person on set? Totally. And you get so nervous for these calls and you never know what's going to happen. And, and it was just literally from the, the way she said, hello, I was like, oh, okay, I'm good. She's going to take care of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it and, seems like that. She, she was a joy. She's a joy. She's She's so um, caring and open and collaborative and humble and uh, creative and excited. Just, just a, a dream, really. And, and I'm not – if there was an issue, I'd find other things to talk about that sounded positive. And I, but, like, I'm telling you, like, perfect. That's – Like, so, so, so easy to work with. So, yes, I, I recommend working with Judith Light if you can. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you want as a writer and director, as, as a writer, you imagine this character and you're, you're pushing these boundaries with this person. And, and in your mind, the whole time you're writing, you're like, Oh man, am I even going to be able to find the right person? Not only did you find right. the right person, she brought the right attitude to the film. She makes this amazing form of, of dry comedy. And while I was crying, so it was this really weird uh, emotion that it evoked and it was something that I had never experienced while watching a film. So I don't know. I didn't know if I was laughing or crying or if I was doing both. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's that's my to like I, I've always lived in that weird tonal space um, with these like I don't believe in like like I don't do like straight dramas or straight comedies. And it's one of those things where you're either like into the fact that you don't know if it's where you are on that spectrum or you're it's like it's not fitting into that box and it like it's, it's one or the other with people usually. No, exactly. And man, what a, what a fine line to, to dance around. But you know, that is why we are sitting here talking is because you were able to evoke that new type of emotion that, that is very rare. I mean, I'm glad that you didn't stick to the drama and I'm glad you didn't stick to comedy. That's all been done. So why not mix them? And then when you get Judith light doing it, I mean, there's something unique there for sure. So, hey, I want to go back now because we jumped right into Miss White Light because I was really anxious because, again, it was being released the last time we talked. And, and I just wanted to get your you know, opinion on how everything's going. And I, and I love to hear that. So let's now jump back. Let's talk about those early years, Paul. I mean, what made you you know, get into filmmaking? And the directing and writing role is extremely hard to get into. That's not where you start. So right. tell us a little bit about that process and where you started and then you know, how it evolved into the writing and directing role. Um, you know, I, I grew up liking movies, but but I wasn't I'm not the like classic person that was like when I was seven, I got my first viewfinder and I, <laughs> you know, and I said, I'm going to make this. And I didn't like I didn't grow up making I didn't I, I didn't really grow up being creative um, at all. It wasn't, you know, my my dad's a therapist my, my, and my mom was, uh, you know, she's a teacher or she was a teacher and um, they they were awesome parents, but we weren't like a household of artists. So I I just wasn't something that crossed my mind. And I didn't even until I, I think graduated high school, I started just um, playing guitar thinking like, oh, I, I want to do I, I knew I had this thing I wanted to express and I didn't know how. It's a creative and, outlet, right? Yeah. And so I poured and I was I'm one of those people that like get a guitar and then just say, well, I'm going to practice eight hours a day. Yep. Like that's how I'm wired. I don't do anything like to me, like there's no point in picking up a guitar so you could play it at parties. And like, like I don't I don't have a healthy relationship with anything. It's either like <laughs> if I'm going to if I'm going to pick up a basketball, it's either the NBA or throw the basketball in the trash. <laughs> um, so. So I, laugh, I, I laugh because we're very similar. I laugh. That's yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, that's yeah. that's you're either wired that way or you're not. And honestly, like, 
I'm jealous of the people that are able to have balance. But sure. Well, I not. think honestly, Paul, I think that's a form of addiction in a positive way. Um, yes. When, when you have a form of addiction, um, where you know you were just lucky enough to take it out in the, the correct outlets, right? There's also addiction. Well, I wasn't in high in high school. I was not taking it out in the correct outlet. Hey, um, hey, so, no judgment yes. here. This is a podcast. We don't we, we don't judge. <laughs> but you, yeah, you 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 nailed it there. Like it, it is this like obsessive approach to everything. When I go out to eat, I eat like way more than I should. I just do everything in these bursts that I can't stop. So getting into the arts is, was just a really good outlet because I could obsessively pour everything into it. And it's very satisfying. However, it, it became clear after a few years of really going all in as a guitarist, going to various schools for music and dropping out or failing out, depending on who you ask. Um, I, I wasn't, I had nothing to say with music at all. I wasn't good at it. I wanted to do something, but that was the wrong Avenue. But when I was, I remember I was in this, I was going to this music school in Pasadena and I was like, I had literally like stopped going to classes and was just staying in the apartment all day doing like running scales on the guitar and watching movies. And I started watching movies obsessively like two to three a day. I would rent, I would just go rent a, a stack of movies every day and just watch movies while I would do these scales and realized like the reason I wanted to be a guitarist was because I love the way that like a movie could portray a guitarist. I love the idea of a story of a musician, but I wasn't a musician. Sure. I love, and I realized like, I, I love the way that movies frame, like whenever I was into something, Finding a movie about that thing was why, like, was what made me love it. Absolutely, hundred um, percent agree. It, yeah, and and so you're like, wait a second, like it's the it's the it's the narrative about it that's exciting. It's not the actual thing. I have nothing to say as a jazz guitarist, <laughs> but I love I love the story of someone pursuing a dream. Sure, I like almost like overnight quit. Like I, I remember I wrote a monologue. And I didn't even know what a monologue was or if it was called that, but I knew it. Like I wrote this kind of like speech that was voiceover for a character that was a guitar player. And I, I wrote this thing just one night and I realized like, oh, this is a voiceover for a character opening up a movie. And I like the next day I wrote, I started like writing pages and pages of this movie. I hand wrote a script about a guitar player that was like not that great at the guitar. Um, and, you know, within a few months I had a handwritten feature script. I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about format. I didn't know like, you know, page per minute. I didn't know anything. Right. I just hand wrote what felt like, and again, it's handwritten. So who knows how many pages. And when I eventually typed it up with proper format, it was exactly 90 pages Boom. because that structure is in my head like that, sure. you know, like I know like, and, um, now don't get me wrong. It was a, a, a terrible script. Um, but I, but like, it was, it was one of those things where like, I, I give it to people and, you know, I'm sure people were being nice to me, but like, it's the first time people were responding to something I was giving to them. They're like, Whoa, you're actually like, you got, you have something. I don't know what it is. Like, like even people could say like, this is objectively trash. This script is terrible. Right. But like, keep writing because there's something in here. Yeah, um, like the way it was formatted after you learned the format or your story structure, maybe your story arc was there, but maybe the topic was off or maybe vice versa, right? What age were you at, at this point? I would I would have been 22. Okay, so just want to yes. put that out there. It's crazy how we all compare ourselves to other people and their past. And like um, you see like, oh, this person's doing this at this age and this person's yes. doing that. Like Constantly. you like. I always thought because with music, it was kind of true that because I started so late that I was never going to be great. Like I, I wanted to be great. And like the great musicians usually start as when they're very young. Yeah. And then you're on and tour by the time you're 20. And then yes, if you're Motley Crue, I felt like a fraud because I was like, well, I'm starting at 22, but then you realize like with writing, <laughs> like yeah. it, it, there's no, like, honestly, like a, a, a prodigy writer, like, no, like I, I'm actually not that interested in a great, a 13 year old with a great ear for language that has a 13 year old's <laughs> life experience. Right. Um, so I, you know, so yeah, I was 22 and I think I finished it like somewhere between 22 and 23. Like when I finished that script, 
Um, and I just remember there was this phase and it's weird how like, you know, you always look back at like stages in your life about how like at the time you felt like you were just, just struggling for relevance and struggling for like anything. And, but you look back at it so fondly. Like I would, I was 23. I was living in a apartment like the, and this is in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. And I had a Murphy bed. I had a Murphy bed in Lawrence, Kansas. You know how hard it is to find like a bed that folds out of your wall. <laughs> Cause, in, yeah, Cause you can like, buy a house, right? For the same yeah, price. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, that's how, that's how like, Bottom of the barrel. I was. I remember. I still remember. My rent was three hundred dollars a month, and this was in the year two thousand. I would love that. Yeah, like, and I barely made it. <laughs> I, ba- I, I barely made it. And but but I would work some stupid day job, but always every single night, I'd watch two movies, and write for an hour every night. That's healthy practice right there, and dedication. And and like, when else can you do that? Sure. You know, like I, I've got two kids now. I like there was that. I, that's all I would do, and I did that for like I don't know. A, I did that for about two or three years straight before I went back to school to get my undergraduate degree. And by the time I went back, like, sure, I was, you know, I was kind of screwed in like math, <laughs> you know, which sure. I hadn't done in a long time. But like in the film classes, I was a few years older than people, but I was there like with a drive. And totally. like knowing like I'm a writer and it was really cool to be in these film classes and every film class I took, um, I was always like, and I'm not saying this as like an arrogant way. It was just, I was the writer. Other people wrote, but like if we had group projects, I always like, I knew that like I was going to get really good people in that class to work on it because of the script. Well, and you had not only that, but you enjoyed it, right? So I was in script writing and I'm a DP now and I was in script writing and I didn't quite enjoy it because I simply, I didn't think I was good at it. Right. So there's this difference of being uh, just practice, practice, practice. And then there's that also that drive of just enjoying the process, which it sounds like is something that you really, really, you really enjoyed. So it kept driving. And I don't even you. know if enjoy is the word. It, it's when you find what you're like, you're supposed to be doing. It's you. It It's you. And it was, and I realized like I'd always viewed the world from a outsider's point of view. If I'm at a party, I am observing. I'm not in the party. I don't participate in things um, to gotcha. my detriment for sure. But I always create a narrative everywhere I am. It's, it's just what I do. It's like my psychological state. So writing's like the perfect way to like, when I'm walking down a street, I'm first person in a film, not like as a fun, like, oh, I'm going to play a game. It's like, this is literally how I view the world. Right. And the only times I'm not that way is when I'm, like with my, my wife and kids sure. and I'm like someone, I'm an actual, I'm a human for a stretch. You know, you said something there though. I want to cut you off because you said to your detriment. Um, and it was about you observing in like the party, everything you observed, you unleashed on paper and you were able to communicate in a fashion and write correctly. And then you found yourself. I think there's something really cool about that. See, I'm, I'm super hyper. And if I'm at the party, I'm, jumping on the table and, and being loud. And then I don't have anything to talk about the next day. But, but you, but you like have (laughs) visceral memories of enjoyment and like having experienced like the party. (laughs) Like you're, you're a character in the story as opposed to the one contextualizing the story. That's true too. I was that way before I wrote. And so I was going to be that way regardless. You kind of, you're wired how you're wired. Absolutely. And like, I could meet people and just talk to people and figure out like, when I get to know someone, people that like a lot of times people that want to be writers will talk to me. And you could tell sometimes by the way that they live their life, that whether they, they have the temperament just to, just to find out if they got it at all because it's just so much work just to find out if this is even like worth your time and if you're not comfortable being alone with your thoughts and just being alone period you you can't i don't think you can write period if if your instinct is always like i need other people and and i like 
I admire that instinct too, because we need everything, you know, Absolutely. like we need all, like if everybody thought like I did, it would be a, there, well, there'd be no parties. <laughs> there'd be a bunch of people standing around looking at each other going, I was at this weird party where everyone was staring at me. It was like um, a, more like a book club thing, but no, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no. like we need, we need the whole, the whole spectrum. But like, I, I just know that I think some people love the idea of like, I love the idea of being a great guitar player. Yeah. But I never, like, I never wanted to get up in front of people and play. Sure. I wanted to practice. I just wanted to practice. And that wasn't going to get me where I needed to get. Like, I could not, I could go practice all day and have nothing to show for it that was any good. Um, with writing, I disappear for three months. And I have a script. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Dude, you know what's a pain sometimes? Hmm, you tell. Hauling huge lights onto set. Oh yeah, that's like the worst. Yeah, I've tried more compact lights, but they just don't cut it when it comes to rendering true color. Plus, they're never bright enough. Mm -hmm, never. But one day, a buddy of mine from the snowboard industry asked me to check out these new lights called Lytra, oh. which promised to solve exactly that problem. They're compact, yet powerful, and with professional-grade color rendering. Nice. Nice. Now Lytra is pretty much all I ever bring to set. Compact, powerful, bicolor, RGB, Bluetooth controlled, rugged, waterproofed, you name it, Lytra's it. That's a whole bunch of stuff. That sounds great. So you should visit our Lytra link in the description below and receive 15% off your next order from Lytra.com. I promise you these lights will completely change your approach to photo and video lighting. All right, man, I'm going to hold you to it. Let's talk more about making it into a career because you can write all day. When when did it happen and when did it click for you with with that first piece? Like when did you like oh you can make money from this? I think I'm in the right zone of work. You felt you felt comfortable. When did all that happen? It you know it's funny it, it doesn't just happen. Um like it if I if I look at like the the big moments there are are three things that like undeniably kind of like changed the course for me. And, and the first was when I was at undergrad at, at KU, but I had been writing for years. So I was not like a normal undergrad. I met Kevin Wilmot who wrote the five bloods who wrote uh, Chirac, yeah. um, the black Klansman, Oscar winner, Kevin Wilmot. I have to, I love saying drop that, now. drop that thing. Uh, yes. Um, he through me being naive and and like basically forcing a script of mine onto him, even though he wasn't even teaching me at the time. Um, he taught at KU. He still teaches at KU. And so I just got lucky that he was there and he read one of my scripts and basically said like, well, you have something you need to pursue this. That, that like all the other stuff that he did for me, and he's done a ton, but that there was, you, you have those moments, the people that like continue doing it, you have to have those weird little moments of validation. That was the first thing that, that if that doesn't happen, I don't know what happens from there, you know? Right. And he, he gave me that. The, the second thing was I got into an MFA program for playwriting um, because the screenwriting programs, none of those were funded. Was that at IU? Yes, that was at IU. And IU was one of like the few programs in the country where if you get in, it's fully covered it's fully no matter covered. what. Like, yep. Aside from scholarships, just getting in, it's paid for. I remember but they that. only took they only took like one student a year, and then every third year they didn't even take anyone. So it's a three year program, so there's never more than two students at the at a time in the MFA program. But luckily, again, Dennis Reardon, the guy that was running the program at the time, it had he not accepted me, you know, I was leaving school. Like I, I don't know what would have happened, but that validated so much for me to be able to get in there and get three years of of paid writing, you know. Yeah, and um, and funny thing is it was a playwriting program and I had basically written a one act play just, just to get into the program. I wasn't a playwright at all. Sure. And he took me on the strength of a screenplay. And he said, if you could write a screenplay, I could teach you to playwright. You know, I could teach you to be a playwright. If you could structure it, cause the screenplay is so hard, just structurally, not saying that one is a better art form than the other at all. And the great playwrights are as great as any other writing you know, medium you could have like, a, but he, his thought was if you can write a screenplay, you, you, you have a foundation of a very difficult structure that I could teach you how to be a playwright. So again, he doesn't do that. I, I'm, you know, so many of the people that I met that I ended up working with were, were at IU and that changed everything for me. And then, you know, the third thing was, 
I had graduated from IU, moved to New York City, had tried to be a playwright, but uh, it, I, I found that I, I wasn't making any inroads in that field at all because it's not a field. <laughs> There's like three people that make a living doing it. Right. And it's really like, and I wasn't going to go like become part of a theater company. Again, the whole like antisocial element that it just wasn't for me and it just felt like a dead end. And I started just writing fiction just because I could at least finish something and it was done. I'd moved away from film entirely because, um, and I was just um, writing um, fiction. And one of my short stories, uh, a guy that I knew from IU read it and said, hey, I think we should make a short film out of this. And I said, no, many times. And he kept pushing me. So I let him produce it. And this is a short film called Walter based on a, a short story of mine called Walter that eventually became a feature film right. um, called Walter that sure like did. William H. Macy and Virginia Madsen, all these people. But like if he, that producer, Brendan Hill, he was an actor. I directed at IU and some plays and stuff. And he just forced this to happen and demanded it happen. And like the next thing, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a screenwriter. Um, and uh, those, those three things, though, like it's kind of dumb luck, you know, it sure. all that, that people really don't ever talk enough about how much, it's just random, random meeting someone and just lucky timing and all that stuff. But those are the three things that kind of really kind of stimmed got me to the point where, yeah, like having Walter made suddenly like there was enough interest that like other people were at least in, into like reading what I wanted to do. And just having Walter made gave me en enough credibility that when another first time producer came to me, I could say I'm not. I'm not going to let you produce a script unless I'm directing it. Exactly. So you you learned your lesson there. So Walter came out in 2015, right? Came out in 2015, but it was it was made in 2013. Okay. And then um, you graduated in 2007. Oh, yes. From IU. And the reason I bring that up is because I also was an IU grad and I missed you by a year. You graduated in 07. I graduated high school in 08. So therefore I... You're making me feel so old. No, no, don't feel old. I just, <laughs> I, I was bummed. I missed you. Trust me. I'd rather be older and hanging out with you at IU. And, and cause I, I went to the IU, IU auditorium and saw all those plays and, and everything like that. So it's really cool to see that process. And you know, you talk about everything lining up and kind of dumb luck, but you know, our last episode on here was about uh, making connections and it was a really fun and funny episode, but you have to navigate and pivot and make connections in this industry and you, but you have to do good work because it, again, if you keep doing good work and watering that tree, your branches will keep growing the branches being those connections. And that was an example that we used. And it sounds like you were in the right place at the right time, but you were doing really, really good work that people were intrigued by. So dumb luck, call it what you want. I think you were, I think you nailed it. You know, you were, people finally got to see your talent and now we are where we are. Sure. And, and, and by the time I graduated grad school from IU, I had been writing for eight years already. It wasn't right. like I, you know, until like I was again at IU because I'd been writing for long enough that I had all these actors that were like, I want to be in your place. Like whatever it is, write me a monologue. Let's do this. Because, um, I put in so many hours before I even met these people. Like I, I was alone learning how to do this. I've, I have this thing where I don't want to present anything until it's great. Yeah. Like as far as like, I, I didn't even want to show people scripts until I was, I thought I was great and I definitely wasn't, but there's a good and a bad. Cause I know that the people that are like, they write a script and they just go out and make something. That is a path to becoming a very good filmmaker. You make a bunch of crappy short films and suddenly your short films are starting to get pretty good and you know, so on. Right. For me, I always thought like, I don't like let me write alone for years before anything starts even getting made because I, I was so like, I wanted to get, I wanted to be a good writer before anyone knew that I was doing this, um, which is good and bad because again, like it stunted me from a production side. I yeah. really, I didn't really get on a set of any value at all until 2013. And this was a dream that I, you know, I went to, I went to KU knowing I wanted to be a filmmaker um, in 2002, you know, when I finally went to get my undergraduate degree. Right. Um, and that was, that's 11 years later. And right. I'm first time I'm on, like I said, and I didn't have a, like I did like some student film stuff, of course. And I did, I did all that, but like to have not 
I, I there's part of me that really is envious of the people that like just jumped onto sets and never stopped. Sure. Um, like I know so many, so many people that that's their path up and it's like, wow, you got so much experience. Again, the one thing that I did gain though, was like, I kept getting better at writing right? and I kept breaking it down and like, I generated a ton of material, like whether you love or hate my writing, every person that knows me knows that I write a lot. Like I, my, I, at IU, the guy said I was the most prolific student he ever had. That's awesome. And just, I write a lot again that you could still hate my writing, but you're going to, you're going to get a lot of it thrown at you if you're in my life. But, uh, so I, it's that, that's the one thing I, you know, I feel like by being kind of timid about jumping into the physical act of production, I, I at least allow myself to, to get a lot of hours at this one skill. Yeah. And you know, with writing and directing, I think that would have been handier at an early age for directing if you were on set and maybe directing not so great short films and then, you know, finally getting into features. I think that would have been healthy for the full-time directing role, but because you are a writer, you were able to just perfect that craft on your own time, you know, in your own apartment. And you, you were still getting experience. You just weren't working with, with the people. So there's really this balance of there's never a right or a wrong. I mean, you know, you are where you are now, but it's like, you know, should you have been out there ahead of time doing that? Or should you have just been honing in on your writing and now it paid off? So we'll never know that answer, but I think, sure. I think what you did at the time might've felt like it was right. Oh, and then maybe now you're like, well, I, I should have been on set, but it's like, no, I think, I think you were doing just what you should have been doing. And that was writing. I think, I think there's, there's probably a balance where like, um, again, I started, I think I started writing in like 1999 right. and got on a first real, real, real set in 2013 as a writer, um, just as a writer being on set. And I feel like, you know, six years would have been enough, not, not 14. <laughs> um, like, I feel like there's a, there's a, a there was an element of fear in there for sure. Because I, I remember in, in undergrad, um, Kevin had like talked me into like doing stage readings of my screenplays. And I was going to make this one screenplay I had written. I was going to make it like for like $6,000 right after I graduated. And just, I looked around and realized like, as we were put, trying to put it together, like, oh, what if this is terrible? I think it's going to be terrible. And I got scared because I knew the script was so much better than the film was going to be. But that's the problem. If you keep getting good at writing and you want to be a director, but you don't direct, eventually your scripts are way better than your movie. Yep. And you have to make the movie. Like it took, I just finished directing my third movie this, you know, this past winter. And I finally feel like I've, I've caught up to my writing. Sure. Um, and that's not saying that's not me saying I'm such a good writer. But how do I? It's literally like no, you've I was a to green direct. director, and, and if I could go back and direct um, the Good Catholic and Miss White Light right now, they would be much better movies. Um, I know <laughs> that because I know so much more than I, you know, than I did when I was trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think it takes, you know, all three corners takes full execution, right? The DP, the writer and the director. But when you own two out of those three things and you are, you are finally caught up with your writing. I, I mean, that's what makes a perfect film, right? I can't wait to see so cold the river. I'm guessing that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to, uh, and you talk about like the DP thing, like when you're a green director, you don't, you have a lot of trouble, especially with younger DPs or less experienced DPs. You're not servicing them either because yeah, everyone's kind of like on their own. <laughs> um, yep. So, it, you know, I, I feel like with, with so cold, I, I finally found like the right DP at the right time in their career and my career and, and taste and everything just kind of like lined up. And it was like, this is what, this is what like filmmaking is. Okay. Now I get it. Now the stuff that I love, I I'm starting to like, just starting to see like, okay, it's, it's possible. Yeah. I see it now. Like I see like, it's not you, you as a director are not carrying the entire vision when you, the, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you really do depend on your, on your DP and, and your, you know, your composer and your editor and everything. Like you learn to like 
really collaborate um, when you get great collaborators. Absolutely. Well, then that, that way, you know, the DP can do their job. They get a really good feel of as a director of what you're wanting when you're directing, you know, the actor, the actress, we're listening too because that's going to affect our shot. And then we want to evoke the, you know, the strongest emotion possible uh, from what is being told from the director. If you have a green director and then you have the green DP, as you were saying, that just does create a lot of room for confusion. And it's one of those things too, where, I mean, if everyone plans correctly, you all should know before you're standing there exactly what's going on. Right. So sure. Oh God, I hope so. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So the fact that you finally caught up to that, you found the right DP. I mean, it sounds like a win-win in all corners. And was that Graham that was your DP for that? No, so Graham, um, Graham Sheldon is. Yeah, Graham Sheldon, um, he was the camera op for for several, several, several um, things in So Called the River cool. and did, he did some B cam, but he opted a lot for our DP. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, no, Grant, Graham's been like a kind of, uh, on, and same with my first film, Graham's just, I mean, I've seen Graham like, He's a he's producing, but he's also like, oh, he's opping too. Okay, oh, he's like in a lake. Yep. With this like weird like underwater piece of gear that like only three people have used. <laughs> he's being like, you know, like he's just one of those guys that like um, you want around and you want on your set because he can he can like DP or op or or produce or do all that stuff. Um, it's true. And yeah, he wears a lot so, of hats. Yeah. And he, he wears a lot of hats. He's been a lot of places. You know, he's an Emmy winner, and he's he's super talented. We had him on uh, last season on the podcast, and absolute pleasure to chat with him. We talked about some of his digital projects, also what you guys had been working on. But I, I do remember seeing him with a camera on his shoulder, uh, from a behind the scenes shot of so cold and in the dome. And I, and I had to ask. Yeah. He also, Oh, he did. He was our, um, drone op and like, man, operating a drone inside the dome. So fun, uh, right? It, it's well, <laughs> it, you get cool stuff, but like, there's some weird, like metal interference. And, and I'm, terrible. Like <laughs> that thing was like, and when you have like a scene with, 400 extras yep um at like a big event and that thing is like swinging around and he's like trying to control it and like hope no one dies <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like yep <laughs> all the steel beams and metal i can't imagine throwing a gps signal on a drone out there i would definitely fly it in addy mode and uh yeah i hope they signed the waiver right and got their haircuts before the shot <laughs> nobody nobody got hurt i mean it was it, we couldn't we wanted to use a bigger drone and it was like you're gonna kill scary someone. yeah that's it, it's like you're risking there's just so much risk involved it's like is the shot worth it can we can we do something else you know right and there was like there was a whole debate like well can we do it can we bring a uh this techno crane in there and they're right. like um i mean and it was it's one of those things where even what like First of all, the cost of of getting a techno crane and a team to operate it down to French Lick, it's way more expensive than shooting in like L.A. Well, yeah, because, because no, just, you can't rent anything there. There's that doesn't exist right. where I grew up, you know, and exactly. And so, like those kinds of things were a like super pricey, but but also like the shot that I wanted wasn't a techno crane shot, so it wasn't even going to like to do all that work and not get the actual thing that you want anyways right like i wanted a shot that like was literally like top of the dome you know slowly coming down on this huge party um and it needed to be what it was but it was like um i mean we even like we put in the center of the dome we had this huge like statue um because if it dropped (laughs) like there would be no people in the center but nothing it, it it was it was good. Nothing, nothing dangerous happened or anything, but it just, you're just sitting there thinking like, um, this is crazy. Yeah. It, but it was super cool. And there's a, there's a cool from the top of the dome perspective shot in the film. And it's like, no one else has that, you know, like that's a, that's a shot. That's a unique shot. Absolutely. I can't wait to see that. especially if Graham's on the sticks, like I'm, I'm sure it's great. And just kudos to him for flying in the building. And, you know, there's always risk involved on shoots. Um, that's why, you know, we, we double check everything and make sure that uh, triple check everything, make sure everything's clear and everyone's, you know, safety is always priority. There's always, it's always scary when you get a loud drone up and especially inside. 
I want to backtrack a little bit with the writing process and So Cold the River because the writing process, you know, not a lot of people are familiar with it, even if they are a creator. And how do you approach like writing? You know, where does where does that start? How do you approach writing So Cold the River without giving too much away? Sure. I mean, that it was a unique situation for me because it, it's a best selling novel. And so when you're adapting, it was my first time adapting something. Um, I mean, I've adapted my own short story, but that's, you know, that's nothing. That's me. You know, it's me just doing whatever I want to my own work. But um, adapting a novel and a novel that has its own life. It's not like some, you know, unpublished thing. It's it's a bestseller. Right. With the fan base. And the story's um, there. The story's there. And, but the, the story is the novel. The story is huge. Um, it's, there's, you know, there's uh, tornadoes actively affecting, um, characters and, and, and things are like things you can't just do, um, without, you know, a hundred million dollar budget. Right. So what was cool though, and and being able to work very closely with Michael Carita, the novelist, who's also exec producer on the film. It was, it was great because he, he gave me the freedom to do it, but like was a hundred percent there to, to guide and give thoughts and notes. And like, we were, we never like were at, at odds on the vision. He let me change. Like he would be pushing me to change stuff from the novel more than I would. For really? sure. Which was, he, he absolutely. And he was like, it will work better as a movie if you just drop that thing. Um, and uh, I didn't know that. And I don't think it's, always the case but like i didn't realize he he was very open to making this its own thing and making it work as a movie and not trying to like serve every element of the novel he just wanted to capture the vibe of the novel and the you know the the time and space and the town and all that stuff but like was very open to to changing things and you have to change so much to to go from a novel to a screenplay and when the when the novelist like understands the two mediums um it helps tremendously it really like without that freedom i i don't think we could have made it work or certainly not work as well yeah and that's got to be a challenge i mean when in the process are you cutting things out of a story that's already there when what is the important elements what can be shaved off to still tell the story in the correct format how do we capture that vibe with with cutting out half the book you know it's like it's, right. it's crazy. It's a hard thing. And then you always hear, oh, you know, the book was better than the movie. The book was always, you know, it's always better than the movie because when you read a book, it's in your own head and that's not how you imagined it. I don't feel like So-Called the River is going to be that way because the fact that you just told me that the author of the book was having you pull and manipulate, I shouldn't say manipulate, but change or or cut things out. I mean, that's that sounds like a director's choice. You know what I mean? That sounds like the director would pull that out of JK Rowling's book for Harry Potter because they didn't think it was usable and then it could ruin something. But here you have Michael Corita and he's telling you to manipulate and change things. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's pretty great to have that kind of like collaboration and blessing from the, the author. It, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. That's total reassurance there. I think that's, that's absolutely amazing and super, super stoked to check that out. Uh, I know you don't have much information on release days or anything like that, but we'll keep our eyes peeled. Yeah. We're just, just starting that process. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be a a little while. For sure. News on that. Right. Well, we'll cross our fingers there. I want to end this Paul with just a good piece of advice, maybe for someone looking to get into the industry full time as a writer or director, what type of advice do you have for them? I mean, again, you don't start as a director or a writer. So, so how do they get there? They're two very, very, very different things. If you want to, if if you can write, you must write. Um, If writing is a thing you can do or will do even, um, you you must do it because it's it's a thing you can start from. It's a thing you could always get better at and work at when no one's around. Um, If you're trying to get through, like if you want to direct and you don't want to write, like you got to find a writer to work with. Right. Um, because it, you can like do a, a million music videos. And I guess if you're David Fincher, you could just go right to the top doing that. And that's great. <laughs> that's why but he's like, David Fincher. Yes, exactly. Um, 
you know, talk about talk about an obsessive uh, personality. But um, right, your your best bet, you know, if you're a director or a writer or whatever, if, if, you, if there's something, if there's a key element to me, like if you're going to be making stuff on your own, which you're going to be, short films or whatever you're doing to start off with, the things you're going to need are writing and acting and directing. Right. cinematography as well sure. um that's all those three corners i was talking about you know all yes those three things have to align figure out what you're gonna be good at and figure out what you're not gonna be good at like what i am not at all is a cinematographer i can direct but i cannot you, if you gave me a i know i know plenty of directors that can early on be their own dp sure um but it's almost always the ones that are really good at lighting a scene are not good writers and vice versa. Those are like two completely different elements of your brain. Yep. And, and there, there might be like, there are some people that are very good at all those things, but there are people that do all those things that have a clear weakness and you wish they would find someone else to like carry the I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson. Sure. Um, I don't know who else can do the whole right. thing. No, you that's know, true. like it, it's so like figure out what it is, you know, you're not good at. Um, and, and find people to fill those things. I can't act. Um, I can write and I can direct and, and, um, but I, I can't act and I'm, I'm not going to do anything. Like I, I will definitely, I will have a vision for a shot. Like when I direct a film, I can give you a whole list of things, Sure. but I can't compose the shot. I just can't. Right. You gave me a, you gave me a, a fucking like, a, sorry, but you give me like, an area Alexa and the, the greatest lens kit you could possibly give. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to light the scene in a way that's going to be unique or special at all. You're going to get only what that's giving you. Right. Um, I, I can, you know, I've learned, I'm learning to frame, but like generically frame where a DP always gets that extra bit in there to really make it pop. Um, but long, you know, again, long-winded answer to a simple question, whatever you're good at, you need to, you need to obviously try to identify that and hone it and work at it and figure out, find the people that are good at the other thing. Don't like you're, you're kind of stuck with who, you know, but, um, yep. I, I know so many people that make short films and it's like, God, your script sucked. It looks awesome. But like, why did you like, why are you putting so much time into lighting a scene for a shitty script? Right. Couldn't you like, I know so many like, dude, go to an MFA program and find someone like the, Hey, you want to write a short film? Of course, all these writers want, they, they don't have any credits. All these like great playwrights out there that are leaving NYU. that are just like, they want to have something on film. If you could shoot stuff that looks great, find one of those guys. Well, they want you just as much as you need them. Because, yes. Yeah, because they can write. They can't shoot, just like you're saying. So then you find the DP, and, oh, it's beautiful, and the script is good. Oh, we've got something. Yes, there. and and then, like, is that writer who's coming out of a theater program, are they, like, I came out knowing a ton of actors. Some don't, right. but, like, they'll know a director, and that director might not be, like, have any experience directing film, but they know how to direct actors. They can get actors on that set and combined with the DP. There you go. You've got everything. It's you're going to screw it up, right. but like you have great actors and a great script and, and a, a great DP and a director that knows how to direct actors, at least that might want to learn how to direct a film. And you have a chance and you're going to do some things right. And you're going to learn a ton. And maybe, you know, the director realizes like, Oh, okay, this is what I need. This is what I need the next time. But like, I always feel like there's this, there's this, like, we're just going to go out and shoot thing that I admire. And I envy because I didn't have that. I was right. more timid about that, but I always, I feel like, can you take a breath and figure out like, before we just run out and go shoot stuff with our friends, are your friends good at what they do? And if they're not, and, and, and I'm like, is there something they would be good at? Sure. Help them, help them find that. Yeah. Maybe your friend that like sucks at photography and just wants to be on a set. Like maybe they're an awesome producer. Sure. Or, or, or maybe they can act or maybe they can like, Whatever it is, you know, like, or maybe they're your behind the scenes photographer and videographer. And it's awesome because that's, that's a whole thing in itself. And they get, and they get a project of their own. They could go craft when no one else wants to put in that time. Yes, exactly. And like, it, it's just, 
figure out like who's in your group, figure out what's missing and don't just like, it bothers me to no end. It's it, to me, it's such a gift to get on a set of any kind and to put a thing out in the world. And that thing, the two minute film, a feature film with known actors, any one of these things could change your life and anyone else's life in that thing. If, if you catch lightning in a bottle and to not, do the extra work to make it. You don't need to make 17 short films this year. That's right. Make eight. Yeah. <laughs> or, or make two really good ones. I was say maybe make um, eight, but then two are going to be really good or, you know, you know, just hone in on those two. Don't keep making the same. Like I, I see it all the time. I see these people that are like one man bands and I admire it. And they, they put out like, here's another short film I made. Here's another short film I made. And you see right. the same problems here. Like, did you need to be in your short film again? Like right. you couldn't like, I know like we we have a theater program right there at this huge school. Any one of these, the star of the theater program in college will, will happily be the lead in a poorly written, poorly shot student film because they want to be on camera because they need it for they, their real. You got it. They, they need it for their real. They need it. You know, they need it to move forward just as much as you need them. But you might, yeah. again, you're not going to knock it out of the park the first time. So it, it is going to take a couple of of times until you really get the one that, you know, you can bite onto and then hold on to it and be proud of. And that yeah. and then hey. that being said, too, you were talking about writing, directing and being the DP and just honing in on that craft and figuring out what you want to do. And then you moved into talking about finding the others that can fulfill those roles just to break down. Uh, what you're talking about here. And I think that is so important because once you do that, you realize everyone's weakest points and strongest points. You only move forward with the strongest points and then you have a great team. And then hopefully the execution is fully there and you can move forward with a great short film. Absolutely. And anyone on that team, I don't care what they're good at, makes you feel like shit. Like when you talk about your ideas or when you're planning and you're dreaming about things, right? Drop them, totally. drop them now. <laughs> like there are people that are good friends or or like family members that are like loving, caring people, but for whatever reason, when you talk about this passion, they leave you feeling like shit. Yeah, it's like you don't. You never talk about your screenplay idea at Thanksgiving dinner because there's some cousin or, or uncle. uncle or, or uncle. parent or whatever you know if there's someone that's like ah oh, you're never gonna make any money like you know who those people are right you have to you have to protect your stuff and your ideas from them well that's just Don't. a bully that's and you get those bullies in high school you get those bullies in the work field those are the people that yes. you cut out of your life but right? when you're starting off man it, it could end it totally it could end it like if you show your first short film to someone and they're just like eh like it, it can for some people it could kill it. Um, and you gotta like, you gotta avoid those people early on until you have enough confidence that you don't give a shit. <laughs> That's a good and then still might as well avoid them anyway. Like, what, who, like <laughs> yeah. just life advice. They're just terrible people in, in general. Right. Yes. I mean, honestly like that, and that comes down to it. You'll, you'll find that group and that you'll work with that group and you'll work with your people and those people might come and go, but the important ones stay around for a long time. So, Absolutely. man, that is that is some of the greatest advice I think we've been given on this show. I hope that the listeners can really, you know, take that and, and take it to set when, when everything is safe and really just concentrate on what they are good at and finding those other roles that they can fulfill to fill those holes. Paul, you're an absolute gym, man. You are. Uh, oh, thanks, man. I, I, I really appreciate it. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's been really fun getting to know you um, in the future when everything is safe. I would love to work with you um, just as an IU grad. Absolutely. Graham, yeah. Graham and I were talking about that, too. So I'm really looking forward to that. And and again, man, just thank you for your advice. Uh, thank you for making awesome films. Everyone go check out Miss White Light. It is available now on digital. Also, look out for So Cold the River dropping in question mark. So, um, <laughs> it, well, can, can I plug, can I plug something real quick? Some I, little thing. I would love for you to um, plug it. I, so I have a website now. It's a uh, www, uh, Paul Schulberg.com. I will link um, that in the description for everyone. Yeah. It's a real tough, real tough one to remember. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, I'm going to be teaching, um, writing, like doing like writing workshops, screenwriting workshops, um, in starting next year, like in early January. Awesome. Um, and I'm also doing every month I'm going to be doing these, uh, free kind of like Q and a sessions. Uh, and like in December I'm doing one on writer's block. Very cool. Open to anyone. Um, so, you know, check it out and like, just get it, it especially if you're struggling with writer's block, get in there. It's free. So get in there and like, um, 
I will I will talk your ear off, but you'll be writing when this thing is over. I promise. I love that. And that's, again, that comes down to finding what you're good at and then weaning out what you're not good at. So if you think you're a good writer and you're not sure yet, this would be an awesome opportunity for you to chat with Paul directly and get some more tips. And I will make sure that that is linked in the description. As I said, you guys can check that out and then uh, move forward with, with Paul's classes, which I think would be awesome as a, someone who's bad at writing and is very good at lighting and, and shooting, I think, um, I, I could probably use some tips. So I'll be, I'll be joining that. Awesome. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much for your time, man. I really, really appreciate you. And, um, just really looking forward to what you do next. Thank you. Thank you. This has been great. Awesome. Paul. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. So that's it for Paul. Absolutely stoked that he was on the show. His writing and directing tips were absolutely amazing. His process, uh, he's clearly making a mark in the industry and he's doing everything right. Uh, Aaron, we missed you, buddy. Get well soon. We will be back next week. If you guys can, in the meantime, leave us a review or a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. That would be super helpful for both of us and the podcast. We would love to hear what you guys have to say. If you want to contact us directly, there's a contact form in the description of the episode. And yeah, uh, we will see you guys next week. Aaron and all, uh, the full crew will be here. So thank you guys for listening. Talk soon.